Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Today is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. On this day in 1934, Nellie Mae Madison killed her abusive husband. The fatal gunshots kicked off a long saga regarding the culpability of victims who murder their abusers. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Laura Norton of One Strange Thing and The Fall Line. Her show sheds light on little-known true crime stories within marginalized communities of the American South. She's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story while I'll cover the narrative. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm thrilled to dive into Nellie Mae Madison's story. Absolutely. Now let's go back to Burbank, California on March 24, 1934, just before midnight. Thirty-nine-year-old Nellie Mae had enough. Her husband, Eric Madison, came home late again. He was likely carousing with another woman. After all, she just caught him with one. A few days earlier, Nellie Mae walked in on him having sex with a 16-year-old girl in their bed. The teenager fled, leaving the married adults with the fallout. Nellie Mae and Eric argued. Then he started viciously beating his wife. Eric's abuse wasn't only physical, however. He talked down to her and claimed that he only married Nellie Mae for money, that he tricked her into falling in love with him because he wanted her $1,000 family inheritance, worth about $15,000 now. Amidst the abuse, Eric forced her to sign a note claiming that they weren't legally married after all. Nellie May endured Eric's physical assaults for six days after his affair was exposed. She was desperate and scared and wanted her husband to feel that way too. So on March 23, 1934, she pulled up to a secondhand dealer and purchased a gun. It's not clear if Nellie May just wanted to scare Eric or she actually had plans to murder him but we do know that Eric came home late on March 24, 1934. He and Nellie argued in their bedroom just before midnight. At one point, she stood at the foot of their bed and pointed the revolver at a reclining Eric. But he wasn't afraid of Nellie May's weapon. In fact, he seemed prepared for it. Eric reached underneath the bed to grab a box. Inexplicably, it was filled with butcher knives. He hurled two sharp blades at her before she could react. 
Undeterred, Eric reached into the box for another knife. Just as he grabbed one, Nellie May pulled the trigger. She shot Eric five times in his back. Finally, her abuser was dead. But Nellie May still wasn't safe. Her neighbors heard everything, including the gunshots. Some thought the bangs came from a nearby Warner Brothers film studio, but others believed it came from inside the building. Those nosy residents gathered in the hallway to investigate. They alerted the building manager, who went to check on Nellie May and Eric. Nellie May answered the door and appeared to be calm. She said she heard the noises too, but suggested that they originated from the floor below. When the manager asked about her husband's whereabouts, Nellie May said he'd be home in 10 minutes. With that, everyone returned to their apartments, and the mystery of the loud shots remained unsolved for the moment. Even though Nellie May killed her abuser in self-defense, the concept didn't exist yet in the 1930s. She knew the law would merely see her as a murderer, and she needed to flee fast. The next morning, at 8.30 a.m., Nellie May left a sign on her apartment door, please do not disturb, I will get my laundry later. Then she wrapped up the cartridge shells from the bullets that wounded Eric in some paper. She snuck out of the building with the package, leaving her husband's corpse behind. Nellie May even arranged for a new tenant to take on her lease. But when that occupant-to-be arrived at 4 p.m., they called the building manager, who had no clue about the transfer. The manager went to Nellie May's apartment and knocked on the door. When there was no answer, the manager used his own key to the apartment. When he opened the door, he discovered Eric Madison's bloodied corpse, still lying in bed, shot five times in the back. The manager immediately alerted the police, and the search was on for the prime suspect, Nellie May. Coming up, we'll discuss how Nellie May's trial impacted how the law views abused women. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from Parcast. When you think of a criminal, do you picture a killer, a gangster, a thief? I bet you didn't think it could be the little old lady down the street who murdered her tenants. Every Wednesday on my series, Female Criminals, meet the unlikeliest of felons, mothers, neighbors, and unsuspecting lovers with a penchant for dangerous behavior. Discover the psychology and motives behind their disturbing crimes and find out where their story stands today. But that's not all. Airing right now on Female Criminals is our special five-part look at the world's most infamous femme fatales, women who were deceptive and deadly, but not always the villain. Catch these episodes and more by following the Spotify original from Parcast, Female Criminals. New episodes premiere weekly. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On March 24, 1934, 39-year-old Nellie Mae Madison fatally shot her abusive husband, Eric, in their Burbank, California apartment. She fled the next morning. Later that afternoon, Nellie Mae's building manager discovered Eric's corpse and alerted the police. She seemed to anticipate that much. My guest host, Laura Norton, is going to take over from here to discuss Nellie May's arrest and her impact on the justice system. Thanks, Vanessa. On March 26, two days after Nellie May killed Eric, police finally tracked her down. She was hiding out at Cuddy Ranch in Kern County, located over 100 miles north of Burbank. The cops found her in a closet, sitting on a suitcase and concealing herself behind clothes. Nellie May claimed that she was just changing her shoes. It was the first of her many lies to cover the truth. The cops didn't buy it, and the evidence against Nellie May started to stack up. Police found her receipts for the gun and ammo she'd purchased days before. Even though they couldn't find the revolver itself, it was enough to charge Nellie May with first-degree murder. During the trial, her lies continued under oath. Nellie May testified that she did buy the gun for self-defense, but at the behest of her husband. She claimed that they'd been threatened before, so he wanted them to be armed, just in case. Additionally, she claimed the couple planned to use the weapon on a trip to Cuddy Ranch. Nellie May fibbed that she'd left for the journey first, and Eric was supposed to meet her there. The complicated yarn ended with a bizarre twist. She declared that she couldn't identify the photos of the corpse as Eric. Nellie May stated to the courtroom that she thought the dead body belonged to a stranger. She believed her husband was still alive. Her defense attorneys, Joseph and Frank Ryan, crafted the ludicrous narrative. They didn't think the jury would believe Nellie May shot Eric in self-defense. A battered wife killing her husband was a foreign notion at the time. Plus, the Ryan brothers believed their client's past was too sordid for any kind of claim. Before Eric, Nellie May had been married to four other men, and her first was an elopement with an older man at age 13. Nellie May also didn't have any children with these men. Cal Poly San Luis Obispo history lecturer Kathleen A. Karens explained to the LA Times how those qualities colored the perception of Nellie May. Being a childless woman with multiple divorces, Karen said, placed her outside the boundaries that defined traditional womanhood of her time. They really wanted to nail her. They didn't like her lifestyle, nor the fact that she didn't break down and cry. That was the prosecution's approach at the time. They didn't care about Nellie May's motive. They just wanted to punish her for killing a man. Then District Attorney Burr and Fitz intended to use the death penalty on her. The jury agreed, 
and convicted Nellie May of first-degree murder in 1934. She was sentenced to die. Nellie May listened to the verdict calmly. She attempted to appeal the decision, which failed in 1935. So it came time for Nellie May to finally reveal the truth. Her real story struck a nerve. People understood her plight as a battered wife far more than the prosecution gave them credit for. Suddenly, Nellie May had more support than ever before. Hundreds of letters demanding her release flooded California Governor Frank Merriam's office. Even the jury petitioned Merriam to overturn the death sentence. By September 6, 1935, the outcry was enough to convince Merriam to remove Nellie May's death penalty and, merely, give her life in prison. That in itself was a huge victory, but Nellie May refused to stop there. While in jail, she used the groundswell of support to run a letter-writing campaign to obtain a shorter sentence. Although she was scared people wouldn't understand her actions at first, they finally did. And now, they helped fight for her release. It took a few years, but eventually the effort paid off. On December 31st, 1942, California Governor Colbert Olson took notice and ordered Nellie May's release. Three months later, on March 24th, 1943, Nellie May Madison finally got the biggest victory of all. She walked out of prison finally free and on the nine-year anniversary of her abusive husband's murder. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Laura, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcasts, One Strange Thing and The Fall Line, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more stories like this, check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Crimes of Passion. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Mallory Cara, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and stars Laura Norton and Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>